Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello listeners and welcome to episode 3 of the From the Finney podcast. As usual I'm joined by Brownie for this one. We'll take a look back at the start of the season and the transfer window with Preston North End director Peter Ridsdale. So yeah, enjoy. Brownie, how are you mate? Good mate, yeah? All good? Good, happy days. Is it in hot in Manchester? It's boiling, yeah. I've just got myself a peppermint tea as well which I think was a shocking decision. I don't know. I don't mind a peppermint tea. Well, no, it's just roasting, isn't it? Sweating. Well, well, they say, don't they? A hot drink cools you down in the heat, which makes absolutely zero sense to me. That has got to be the biggest load of rubbish. Yeah, it's got to be bullshit. Has yeah. to be. Um, but yeah, got a guest today, haven't we? We do, yeah. Yeah, it should be interesting. <laughs> um, things have gone well off the field and things are going well on the field, so... Yeah, it should be interesting to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, very much. What's your take on the on the start of the season, just briefly? Um, well, come on, five five games in. Um, there's been plenty of clubs. I think there's been a lot. I don't even get excited with top of the league and stuff like that, which I am. I'm not coming across that. I'm not. But there's a long way to go, isn't there? Um, and I think we're first to say to Blackburn fans, oh, you've won the league in October and November and then completely ripping for it. Um, it seems to happen every season in April time. So, yeah, enjoying the fact we're top of the league, but certainly not getting carried away with it yet. I think that's the consensus, isn't it, amongst most fans, sort of enjoy the moment, especially, you know, it's an international break, so got two weeks of looking at the table and seeing yeah. the top, not just a few days. But, yeah, there's, there's a long way to go, and I've no doubt there'll be peaks and troughs throughout the season, but... You know, it was we, good we, to get a couple of signings in, wasn't it? That because yeah. they need it. You know, you're looking at the bench on Saturday. You know, it, we needed those extra two, and we need the guys to come back from injury. Which hopefully, as we go through the winter months, and you know, it's not really been Saturday Tuesday yet, has it? It's been kind of you know we had the one cup game. So as soon as those games start coming in, and you pick up injuries and suspensions, we, we do need that, or we did need that little bit of extra. So it, it's a good that they they got that over the line. Very much so. Um, Peter, thank you very much for joining us. Nice to have a bit of a break in the season, is it? Yeah, I always find this week, you know, transfer deadlines finished, it's the international break. Um, it's not a bad time just to uh, get away for a few days and reflect. So, yeah, it's a good time to have a break. Good. Um, we'll get straight into it. Just go back to last season briefly. Um, given all the sort of talk from the manager about 
his brand of football and everything else that came along with that. Were you or anyone else at the club maybe a little bit disappointed with the product on show to home fans for the majority of the season? Um, I think it was the lowest number of goals scored at home in a 46-game season and the joint lowest number of home wins in a 46-game season? Or do you look at sort of how the season ended and think that's kind of by the by? I think the biggest problem in football is everybody's got an opinion on how we should be playing, you know, what attacking football looks like. I think what is absolutely clear is that our home form was disappointing. I saw a stat yesterday that said since Ryan joined, we've got the highest number of away victories of any team in the Championship. So just think what could have happened if we got our home form sorted out. And of course, the other problem is you've got the majority of your supporters watching the home games in the main. Obviously, we have a great away following, but the majority of our supporters see the home games. So if you're not performing at home, it undermines everything else you're trying to achieve because, you know, the supporters aren't satisfied. So, you know, were we satisfied with our home form? Of course not. Ryan wasn't either. What was weird is at one stage, we all sat down, Ryan, myself, um, I invited Craig in to have a chat. And we said, what should we be doing differently to try and turn the home form around? And the answer is we didn't know. And then suddenly the following game we won and we went on this running or, or no losing streak at home. So maybe just having a chat about it and taking some of the pressure off helped. And then, of course, at the end of the season, it was disappointing because we had at any moment in time up to eight first choice players missing through injury. Um, so, look, last season was um, a nearly season. Um, you know, we almost... We're in a position to get in the playoffs with five games to go. Last five games, I think we only took one point, which was really disappointing. And yes, of course, our home form uh, was disappointing as well. Uh, so standing one step back, given you know I go to every game home and away, I, I tend to forget that the majority of our supporters only see the home games. So if you're winning away and losing at home, it's very disappointing, but it's not, it doesn't have the same impact as if you only see home games. So we get it. We understand. As for brand of football, the starting point is I want to win. Uh, when you've won, then you talk about how you win, whether it's in you know style and in inverted commas or whatever else. But you know, I was around in the days when you know Liverpool and Newcastle, you know, Newcastle were losing four three at Anfield or something, and everybody says, "Wow, what a game!" It was as long as you're not Newcastle fan because you lost. You know, so we want to win football matches. That's the primary aim, and then of course we understand we're in the entertainment business. On that, moving into this season, Peter, um, obviously took stock at the end of last season and probably decisions were being made earlier than that. But you decided to keep the season tickets as low, well, pretty much as low as what they were the season before. Was that an easy decision or were there thoughts about whether you could put them up or different offers and that type of thing? I think um, the season ticket campaign last year, I mean, I know everybody said... They did their bit and we promised a lot and we didn't deliver or whatever, which I'm slightly disappointed about because what we actually did last year is say, look, we're going to give adult season tickets of £280, which I think is about £12.17 a game. Um, and we knew we had a lot of away support coming from teams like you know Wigan. We had um, uh, Middlesbrough who were going to bring a lot. Burnley were going to bring a lot. Um, so we knew we'd have some big away crowds. So what we decided to do was to give our regular supporters who wanted to be loyal and commit early what we thought was a really good price and hopefully recoup it on the back of 
the away crowds um, by putting up the match day prices. It worked. We had uh, something like a 4,000 higher average uh, gate, partly because of some of the away support as well, but obviously because the season ticket base was suddenly closer to 12,000 than 8,000. And it meant we were rewarding our loyal supporters who wanted to commit to a season ticket. Um, so when we looked at it this year, we did the same again. What we said was, for those who've shown the loyalty, let's stick to the pricing structure and let's pick the match day prices as somewhere to adjust. You'll have seen that we've got Category A and B games this year. And therefore, those games where the teams will fill out the um, the away end will um, pay a price that perhaps is slightly higher than they would do for another game. Um and that allows us to do the right thing for the law supporters who commit in advance. So was it difficult? Well, we always talk about it. We look at the impact financially, particularly if suddenly, um, you know, the, the renewal numbers. I was getting a lot of emails and text messages last season saying, you've conned us, you'll never get the same numbers again, etc. We've actually taken more money from season tickets this year than we did last year. And you say about the categories and stuff like that, that's some things that sometimes our fans criticise when they get they kind of look at it as penalised as away fans that pay more. Are there any type of, I know if it was talk of Leeds wanting to do in like a deal where you could kind of say, well, we'll, we'll offer the same as what, what our fans would do. Is that anything that you'd considered or is it we're just going to stick to the pricing on that? Well, we looked at it, but to be honest, it, all it does is, is take cash out of our pockets because Leeds won't do it at our prices as published and we have to publish them in advance. They wanted us to reduce our prices. I think Leeds are charging £47 and we're at 30 I think, or 32 for the game. I can't remember. Um, but had we reduced our prices, let's say by £4, um, to get a reciprocal arrangement for, the, for our support going to Leeds, the only people that lose from that is ourselves. Because, you know, 6,000 away supporters, £4,000, it's £24,000 we're losing. So... Our supporters want us to invest in the squad, but reciprocal pricing would have actually reduced our income. What I do think is, and it's up to Leeds, it's their business, but to charge our supporters £47 for a championship match, I think is out of order. But, you know, um, that's their decision. It's their business. It's their business model. Um, so I understand our supporters want to go to Leeds who think it's high. I get that. But that's not our decision. That's Leeds' decision. As, as it is for any other clubs charging high prices. But if we were to do a reciprocal deal at less than our published prices, the only people that lose is ourselves. How much Fair do enough. things like sort of season ticket sales and away tickets and all that sort of stuff impact how the budget is set for the season? Do you sort of forecast, like you mentioned last season about that Borough Burnley, Wigan, coming with what you would expect to be large numbers, does that sort of impact the budget that gets set or do, you, do they not factor into it? Well, it impacts the budgets that set because season ticket sales and then our forecast for the season, if we get it right, and we got it pretty accurate last year, um, is a part of the income stream we get and then it determines how much the owner's family have to put into the, the football club. Um, what it also does, of course, is impact our profit and loss in terms of financial fair play. So the more we can guarantee of income by a known season ticket sale, 
um, and then we forecast what we think the match day prices will be. That impacts what we can spend on wages and what we can spend on money in the transfer market because there are a number of issues around the um, the way the budget works. The family cannot put in an uh, indeterminate amount of money because of financial fair play. Financial fair play is based on how much you lose over three years and we're right up against the limit at the moment. Um, uh, so, yes, it impacts it. And, of course, we look at it and the budget's put together and we forecast some of it. So the knowns are season ticket sales. We forecast match day sales. And then we've got money from the solidarity from the Premier League and media rights from the Football League. Then, of course, there's the commercial income on top of that. How many season tickets will we sold this season? Is it sort of similar number to last year, more or...? I think the number I saw today was about so just over 11,600, 11,686. That's good. Well, That's particularly good. as interestingly enough, the only category that has reduced in number is under 11s and they don't pay anything. And it seems to have coincided with us clamping down and making sure that under 11s are actually under 11 and not 13, 14 or 15. So that's why our season ticket cash income has actually gone up. On the budget, the manager spoke about a, a defined budget and it has been mentioned before various meetings and that type of thing that there's there's kind of a change of plan now in, in terms of there's a set budget and this is what you've got to deal with. Obviously, if rumours were to be believed about Tom Cannon and us agreeing a, a certain amount there, how does that impact the budget and what kind of change in that scenario? Because what he went for or what you know, what I'm told he went for, to me seems as though that would ha- you'd have to break the budget you know, at five to seven million or whatever it was. Well, I think the there are a number of factors on the budget, the first of which is what wages somebody would like to see themselves paid. And the other is obviously the transfer fee. But the thing on the transfer fee is it depends on how you pay it. So in Tom Cannon's case, and we got a lot of criticism for holding on, but the manager wanted Tom if he could get him, but we always had a plan B. And we were scared stiff that plan B wouldn't still be available if plan A didn't work. But we agreed very early on with Everton what the deal would be on a loan. And that was very expensive for a loan. And they kept on saying it's going to be next week, it's going to be next week, and that never happened. And then last week, midweek, they said we want to sell him. Uh, We put an offer in and that was rejected. And then we put another offer in. And after three or four exchanges of emails on the offer, a deal was accepted. It was four times our historic transfer record, slightly more than four times. Um, But the payment schedule would have taken into account how much we paid this year, how much we paid over his contract. That would have impacted future years' budgets, potentially. But the amount we offered up front, which was accepted by Everton, was okay within our current budgeted cash forecast. Okay. Because there's kind of been, or perceived to be, more money spent this summer than in recent years. Is that is that kind of the fact that we've kind of reduced the overall budget or, or does that mean that things have changed and you know we're looking at things a little bit differently now in terms of transfer fees and, like you say, spreading those over a certain amount of years and taking that into account? Has that changed or, or is it just that we've oh, reduced the budget overall? Uh, what has changed is that, you know, we, we were carrying at one stage far too many players. And what it sometimes does is it takes a time for those to 
work through the system because players are under contract. So, for example, our squad today is probably four or five senior players, as opposed to the kids, um, less than it was when Ryan arrived. And that frees up cash because obviously we're not paying players who aren't going to be part of the match day squad. Um, we've also been very smart in our payment structure for those that would pay transfer fees for. Um, we've we've recognised how much cash we have to spend this year. Um, we obviously sold Jacob Slater, which brought money in. Um, so overall, what we've done is measure reducing the overall headcount that people were paying for that weren't involved. We've sold Jacob, we sold a young lad to Liverpool um, and um, we're in a situation where we've been smart in the way in which we've um, agreed payment schedules for those we've paid for. Um, but if you actually look at the, the players we're brought in, um, we've made transfer fees for three of them, uh, for Mulletan, for uh, Will King and um, for, uh, for Mads. Those are the three we've paid transfer fees for. The rest, we've come in for nothing. And is the, the Slater deal? Is that is that a healthy deal for us in the future? Should he go on to be a you know a success for Brighton? Well, well, we've sold him on an agreed amount of cash which we've already had. It then increases as he appears in games for them. Um, that will add up to a significant number if he plays the number of games they think he might. There's also a significant sell-on fee. And Kian Best was champing at the bit to get that spot anyway. So we thought it was good business. Um, Jacob said he wanted to go. So all in all, everybody's happy. Just back to the Tom Cannon deal briefly. Was Did that just come down to Tom hearing about Leicester's interest and deciding to go there um, as opposed to coming here? And... Had the loan that we agreed with Everton, was that sort of something that dictated the fact that he came to the game against Aberdeen with his agent? No, the, de the, the fact he came to the game against Aberdeen with his agent was to some extent embarrassing for me and for, for, for everybody because, you know, a number of supporters have texted me and actually been very insulting about the fact that we paraded him in front of the fans that day. Um he asked to come. Uh, he asked to come because he was going back with Ryan Ledson after nothing and going out socially after the game. And I had a choice of saying yes or no. Um, but what do I say to somebody that we're trying to persuade to come to the club or ask to come to the game? He can't come. Um, it would have been better had he not done so. But that was his request and which we accepted. Just as, indeed as uh, the game against Dipswich, Alex Neal asked to come when he came in the boardroom and he was in the director's box. You know, what, what we try and do as a club is be accommodating and hospitable. Um, but uh, I say some of the insults I had after that happened and then he hadn't arrived were incredible, as if we don't know what we're doing and we're stupid or whatever. Um, no, we're not stupid. We're just hospitable to people. And he asked and he came. Simple as that. So did he, did he choose just then? Was it a straight shot between us and Leicester? Uh, until Thursday night at six o'clock last week, we thought he was coming to us. One, we thought the loan was going to happen until, I think it was Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And then when we put the bids in, we got written acceptance of our bid. I don't know what time. Let's say it was five o'clock on Thursday. Um, uh, permission to speak to him. We phoned Tom. 
he said, I don't know if you know, but Leicester have just come in. Um, and with due respect, I want to talk to them. But the minute he said he wanted to talk to them, we just said, well, best of luck, because to be honest, um, they've just come down. They've got the parachute payments. We know what their pay structure is. And we had a plan B that we didn't want to lose. I'd been working on Militon for two or three weeks, and it was a very complicated deal because um, you know we're in a situation where he needs a visa. Um, we couldn't get him in the country to even speak to him because he wasn't even allowed to travel into the country on a even for a holiday without a visa. Um, uh, so it was done at a distance. Um, uh, we had his agent in Montenegro. We had Militan in Cadiz. He doesn't speak a word of English. So whilst that had been spinning for probably two weeks and other clubs, as you probably have read, were in for him. And then I hadn't got a deal done with Cadiz, which they were saying had to be at a certain level, which we weren't prepared to pay. Um, they relented midweek last week. So by Thursday, we had a couple of options. We'd had a third option for a different position, but arguably still in the strike force a week before with a player on the west coast of the States, which I was dealing with. And then in the end, because their transfer window is different to ours, they decided not to let him out in this transfer window. So, you know, while everybody thought we were doing nothing, there's a lot going on. Um, and, you know, if Tom was going to come, we didn't want to lose him because the manager clearly knew him. Um, but we had other options. So it was a tough call. But in the end, Tom said he wanted to uh, talk to Leicester and indeed he signed for them. You've touched on, well, the challenges of dealing with overseas, but, you know, the, the ruling changed, didn't it, that made it a little bit easier for, well, for us to access those areas. How much easier or not is it to, to deal with, with overseas? Um, or has it not really made much difference overall? Is a football club a football club or, you know, a player a player? Depends where they're coming from in terms of how easy it is, to be honest. Um, certain countries are easy to get access. Mads, for example, um, you know, I flew in to watch our pre-season game in Spain for literally 24 hours, flew out uh, to, to Copenhagen the following day, um, ended up doing a deal when I got back, actually walked out on the, the transfer negotiations and said, you know, it was getting too rich. And then I got a call the following morning to say, well, actually, we've thought about it again and we, we, we got it done. But it was easy in the sense they speak fluent English. They were very accommodating when I went over. I met Mads while I was over there. Um, and uh, he didn't have the same... He still had to get um, work permit, but he didn't have the same restrictions on travel that, for example, Militant's got. So it's made it easier in the one sense, but some are less complicated than others because Montenegro is not part of the EC. That has become more complicated. But uh, we've got clearance from the, all the football authorities on him. He, as the, it, literally, as we are recording this interview, um, I had dinner with him last night um, and he's gone to Madrid today for his, um, his visa. Um, that got complicated because all the trains were cancelled to Spain up to Madrid this morning. Um, so he's going to have to stay overnight and get the visa hopefully tomorrow and then within five days he's allowed in. But this was a very more much more complicated transfer than, say, Mads was, which was easier to do because he's, he's in Denmark. He was in Denmark. The, the Militant deal, was that sort of, you're aware of the potential complications, but you wanted that player, so it was like, we'll, we'll deal with the complications and hope that we get him done in well, time. I, I was predicting, start of last week, that 
the easiest one was probably going to do was was going to be the one in the states, and the second one was Tom Cannon because obviously we knew Everton, etc. Other than at that stage, we didn't know it was going to be a, a very expensive permanent, and I thought Milton was going to be the third, not because he was third choice, because he wasn't, but just I thought it was the hardest to get done in time. Um, as it happened, you know, the the American one we couldn't get done for, for reasons to do with the football club and their transfer window. Tom, we didn't get done for the reasons I've already said, albeit we've got a very expensive permanent deal um, sanctioned by um, Craig and the family, which we were very grateful for, but I've already explained why it didn't happen. And Milliton, all the things that I thought were complicated, we got most of them resolved, and the others will be resolved by the time he, he joins us ahead of the Plymouth game, but he still can't travel to the country. I happen to be on holiday at the moment, uh, so coincidentally... Um, I organised to present him with his shirt last night and have dinner with him. And being out here was helpful because there's been a lot of complications in getting him to Madrid for his uh, his visa meeting, which between me over here and Ben in, in Preston, we probably spent most of yesterday trying to sort that out. But he's happily in Madrid tonight and hopefully the meeting will happen tomorrow. And um the job will then be sorted. But it, it's been a very complicated transfer. But I'm delighted because Ryan wanted him. Our scouts had identified him. And uh, he's he's a great lad having met him. Do you reckon the system, because like clubs like us who historically not really shocked in that market, do you reckon that can be a bit of a problem for British clubs? So say like League One, League Two clubs, if they want to sell, and probably us as well, when the clubs can look abroad for cheaper prices, does that force us and other clubs to lower our asking prices for players? Well, we're only allowed so many uh, overseas players, and it's four this year. Um, and therefore, I don't think that of itself is material. And also, at the end of the day, I think if a player's good enough, somebody will pay market value for them. Um, sometimes... A domestic player, you know how they perform in the division in which you're in. And therefore, I think you know, the balancing factor is, you know, if you see somebody play in the championship week in, week out, you've got a standard that you can judge it against. If you go and watch somebody play in, you know, I don't know where, you know, Denmark or, or Spain or whatever, it's marginally harder to then say, well, how will that transport into, into English football? So there are pros and cons, but then, as you say, maybe the prices aren't as much. There's a lot of thing go, things go into deciding which players. The starting point is which ones are we trying to target? And we've got a really good scouting team. Uh, we've got a company called Market Insights we use. And I was told in 1988 by Howard Wilkinson, if you get three out of five transfers right, you're doing really, really well. And that's when we were in, you know, at the buying players from the Premier League or whatever. So three out of five, right, you're doing well. It's tough. It's tough because it's not how they've performed historically. It's how they perform and they fit into your structure. How do, how do we make sure, how do we do our due diligence really on players that are abroad? How do you make sure the right character? How do you make sure that the, you know, everything's right off the field, that type of thing? What, what sort of things go on in the background to make sure that's okay? Because I'm sure... You know, Ryan Lowe could speak to someone at an English club. He'd know someone at pretty much every club to to lean on. How do we make sure that's okay um, to prevent well, issues between, with, with foreign players coming in? Yeah, look, it's you don't always get it right, but between Ryan, myself, Market Insights, and other contacts we've got, we check 
not just what it looks like on the football field, but all sorts of things around their domestic arrangements, around the, um, the way they fit in the dressing room, etc. And ultimately, you then have to have a leap of faith that all the due diligence is correct. But what we don't just do is look what they're like on the football field. There's a lot more work goes into it. And I think some, sometimes it's underestimated how important that is. And one of the things that I think Will, Will King said ahead of the Stoke game when he did his, his press is how good the spirit in the dressing room is. And from our point of view, it's critical that we don't disrupt that, we enhance it. There was a player that we interviewed and met and had on our list the day before Will joined that on the football field looked okay. I'm not going to say who he is, um, but due diligence suggested we went for, we decided not to proceed with that. So we, we do our homework as well as we can. Ultimately, the proof in the pudding is how it performs, but a lot goes into every transfer. Did that player end up going to League One by any chance? Uh, I can't say who he is, but he didn't. Oh, thinking of the wrong one. Um, just on market insights, how how has it been working with them? So obviously you've been at the club for 11, 12 years now. Um, how has it been working with market insights versus when Frankie was here or versus when Alex was here or going back even further than that? Has it, has it been a breath of fresh air almost or...? Well, look, I think every manager, and this is where sometimes uh, people sort of misunderstand the way in which we operate. So what we've tried to do, and not every club does it, a lot of clubs have sporting directors, the sporting directors often recruit. And, you know, we've had two managers visit deep down the last couple of weeks who have said, we've no idea who's coming or going. You know, the sporting director does that. We just coach. We've got a different approach. You know, we don't sign players the manager hasn't identified or doesn't want. You know, he might have a list of three or four, and we might only say we can get one or two. But every player the manager has had an input into. And market insights come and present, but there are three or four companies in the market that do what they do. Um, Ryan uh, has confidence in market insights, and from what I've seen of them, they are very, very good at identifying the sorts of players that we would likely to be scouting and that would fit within our financial structure. So... You know, they've worked really well. We've used others in the past. Um, as I say, we happen to have what some people feel is perhaps an old-fashioned way of operating, where the manager is the manager, not a head coach. Um, but in my experience, if the whatever you call them, if they don't want the players in the first place, you're going to spend some money and they're not going to play them. So we think what we do works. Others think what they do work. You touched on Will Keane a second ago and, Sort of everything he said about the atmosphere in the dressing room being really good and all the players are tight-knit. You might not be the best person to answer this question. It might be better being asked to the manager, but Alan Brown did an interview uh, not so long ago and sort of said that during the summer that all the squad and the playing, the manager and all the coaching staff sort of sat down and had a bit of a conversation and sort of looked at what's the most important thing and it was the result. And, and getting the wins, like you sort of said, 10, 20 minutes ago. Um, is that something that has sort of impacted the, the atmosphere and sort of made things a little bit more positive and led to, obviously, the first five games that we've had this season, sort of being a little bit well, more I mean, look, honest? The, the easiest thing will be for me to say, of course, but the answer is I have no idea. Um, I mean, the reality is that 
and we're, we as a club, I think, are proof of that. I mean, Frankie's tenure was relatively short, but apart from Frankie, you know, we had Simon for, I can't remember, four years maybe, four or five years. Um, we had Alex for four years. Um, and then Ryan's been here since December of 21, so he's just short of his second anniversary. You can't build football clubs by chopping and changing all the time. And you've got players under contract. The manager may not want some of those. It takes two or three transfer windows. It settles down. Then you see how you want to play. You see how each of the players in, interacts with each other. The manager has to assimilate into the club and the club is there and we're there forever. So whatever the manager's personality is and style, they have to assimilate into it. And people learn lessons. They make mistakes. You know, I make mistakes every day, which I'm sure people will be very quick to tell you most of the time, but hopefully not all the time. Um, and managers make mistakes, but they also do a lot of things well. So it takes time. And what we've always tried to do is to build. And yes, in the summer, Ryan sat down with the players and he said, right, look, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? What's important in life? And as, I've, as you've alluded to and I've already said, Football is all about winning football matches. When you win a football match, you come away. Somebody said to me on Saturday at Stoke, that was a good win. I've never known a bad win. Yeah, of course it was a good win because we won the football match. And, you know, do I want to go somewhere and lose 5-4? I'm not interested in that. I want to go somewhere and pick up three points. After that, I'd like to do it in an ent as entertaining a style as possible. But... This is a tough division, the championship. Just look at the clubs that are in it. And sometimes you just have to grind out results. You know, we beat Sunderland 2-1 uh, the other week at Deepdale. Uh, it doesn't really matter how much possession they had. We had, funnily enough, Ipswich beat Sunderland the week before. And the one thing that was astonishing is the possession stats, Ipswich, Sunderland, possession stats, PE Sunderland, were identical Sunderland had the most possession in both games and they lost both 2-1. The possession stats against Stoke on Saturday, I think they had, I don't know, 70% possession or something. We won 2-0. So, ultimately, what you have to be is together as a team, have the same focus as a team, believe in what you're doing, win football matches, and the last but not least, in the ideal world, then entertain. But I'm not interested in entertaining and losing. Do you reckon with it all being a lot more data-driven nowadays. I know you mentioned three out of five being a success, but I don't know whether Market Insights, would that would be their selling point. I think like to think they think it'd be higher than that. With it being data-driven now and not just relying on the eye, so to speak, is three out of five a little bit outdated approach or, or would we should be, should we be expecting higher than that? I think you're kidding yourself if you think you can do better than that. Yeah. You're I don't know. The it... Look, the reason you're not in the real world, if you're saying that, is the following. All data can tell you is what somebody's done somewhere else. What it won't tell you is how they then interact with you, your team, who's providing the chances, who's working with them in defence, um, the teams you're playing against. Three out of five. You take, and I say this with due deference to probably the best manager we've seen in the last 50 or 60 years in English football, Sir Alex Ferguson. You go back and work out how many of his signings worked and how many didn't. And I bet three out of five is not far wrong. In fact, it might even be lower because people forget the ones when you're at the top who don't work if the ones you've got really do work. And as I say, the problem you've got is data, and we use it all the time, you're quite right, it's different to just, you know, the. although I still think going and having a look can't be beaten. Um, but data only will tell you historic 
performance. What it won't do is predictive. Now, people are talking about artificial intelligence. Will that work going forward? I don't know. Make it better. I will challenge you to on a three out of five. If you think that's low, I don't believe you. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, about Alex Ferguson again. I mean, it's, it's quite a while ago. I don't think it's very data driven then. You know, I think you probably look at clubs like Man City and, you know, they've got all the money. Yeah, but it still doesn't, by your definition, still doesn't mean every um, signing is going to be right. So, I don't know. I'd like to think we'd be thinking higher than that. I think market insights well, probably would as well. Well, how much do they pay for their players versus us? Are you really oh, yeah. saying that in the championship, with our budget, three out of five is low? How many players in our squad have we paid a penny for and you expect them all to perform? It's not that simple. I'm just saying, you know, there's there are ways... Well, we're looking at loom markets now, aren't we? So, you know, from this summer, you know, ideally we want three out of, more, more than three out of five, don't we, to be right? So I suppose that the proof will be in the, the pudding, won't it, for, for this Look, summer? And where I'd like to get five out of five right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be... Uh, clever when I say what somebody told me a long time ago. All I'm saying to you is because all you can look at is historic information, you can look at how somebody performed in a completely different environment, and then what you're trying to do is predict. And then in the main, I haven't added it up yet, but I will perhaps in a minute, have a look at how much we've spent on the squad as a whole versus, you know, sim teams that we're competing with day in, day out. Um you know, I don't know what Stoke are going to do, for example. They brought 18 players in. Are they going to have 18 successes? I don't know. I have no idea. But don't think that's a low percentage. Well, I mean, I, I do think with Stoke, I think they've kind of getting a little bit running away with themselves, I must agree. Um be difficult for a manager to try and bed all those players in in one go, won't it? So, yeah, I agree on Stoke. Well, sorry, it was an example. I've no idea whether it work or not. So I'm just saying to you, I've no idea. But what I'm also saying to you is you need to have a look at all the dynamics around it, you know, because um, we're in a situation where, look, if we're going to play a record transfer fee, you would hope that those players will work because by definition, you invest a lot more money. Um, they've come from probably somewhere where they've got a more proven track record. Um and if it doesn't work, you've got a problem because you've spent a lot of cash and you've got them a long-term contract. There are other players you pick up either for not a lot of money or on a free or maybe they're a development player. The dynamics around squad building are varied. And all I'm saying to you, was three out of five is what I was quoted. You may say that's too low. If it's four out of five, maybe. The only difference between three and five is four. And if you're telling me you think five out of five will work, well, I don't think you're in the real world because nobody gets it right 100% of the time. Just last last sort of point on this summer. Um, it's felt like there's been a little bit of a shift away from stuff that we've done in previous windows in the market. Um, you know, there's talk of a slight change in budget, whether that's the case or not, I don't know. Signing younger players maybe with a bit of an eye to the future. As Regarding the owners, has anything changed in terms of are they maybe a little bit more willing to put a bit more cash in now than previously, or is it well, just on I, a case-by-case case basis? Jake, well, it's not case-by-case case at all. In fact, you know, Craig is and the family are absolutely into planning and budgeting, and that's right and proper because it means we can plan as opposed to, you know, somebody wake up one morning and say, you know, have you thought of this player and we'll give you the money and then crikey, if we'd have known that six weeks ago. So 
Um, it's been a pleasure working with Craig in terms of the budgeting process because there's been total clarity about how much money there is. But I've already said financial fair play plays a massive part as well. And financial fair play benefits by selling players like a Jacob Slater because uh, he was homegrown. So that, that all goes to, to the profit loss account. Um, uh, we can only lose so much money and we're right up against it because of the COVID year. We lost a lot of money. Um, and that disappears at the end of this season, but it's still in our three-year rolling average. So there are a whole lot, there are a whole lot of dynamics which determine how much you can spend. We have spent more this summer, which wouldn't be difficult because I think we've been through three transfer windows and paid a penny. You know, everybody said, "Oh, we blew our budget last year, on, last summer on Freddie Woodman." We didn't pay a penny for Freddie on transfer fee at all. Um, so um, we didn't blow all our budget on one player, and we wouldn't do. Um, but we were lucky enough to have enough contacts where he was and historic links to, to the number of people there who helped us enormously and we wouldn't be able to do that deal without their support. Um, but what we have done this year is get a lot of overhead cost out of the way by over the last two or three years, players have gone that weren't part and parcel of the future. Um, we've reduced some of the salaries of people, so people have left somewhere on high salaries We've replaced them more cheaply and more competitively, which has freed up cash in the transfer market. So we've tried to do a balancing act. We know how much cash we had, and all we've tried to do is to use it in the best way possible to benefit the team based on what Ryan was looking for. And I go back to you know every player that we brought in was because Ryan said he wanted them. I know you, the window's only just shut and you are on your holidays now, but you're talking about cash and ability to spend does that impact January and what we've spent this summer or, or would we just revisit it at that point? Well, it, it doesn't impact January in the sense that we have a budget for the year. So January is halfway through the year, so it doesn't affect that. Um, we've also got a lot of interest in some of our players, some who are absolutely part and parcel of the future, some who at the moment may not yet be. So we'll have to decide what we think the best... Um, way of either accepting offers and then reusing the money is or, or whatever when it comes to January. Um, but the important thing for us, and so far it's been helped by a good start, was to get the right squad together for the start of the season. Um, and then January will look after itself. So the budget that's set isn't for six months, it's set for the year. We know where we are against that. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the budget that we can't predict, so we assume it's all downside, um, and it was in the Carabao Cup, so we budgeted to get knocked out in the first round of the Carabao Cup. We budgeted to get knocked out in the third round of the FA Cup. We only budget for the minimum number of TV games that's allowable um, under the contract, but most years we get more than that, so that's a bonus. So last year, for example, in January, we, we um, got through to the fourth round of the FA Cup and we used the money from the Tottenham tie to bring in people like Liam Delap and um, Tom Cannon and Josh Onoma. Um, so it's a moving feast. I mean, if, for example, the crowds are higher than forecast and budgeted, that will bring more money. So we budget on a prudent basis. And then as the season progresses, if there's more money available, well, then we have it within the club to spend. You know what people will say, though, won't you? You know, with the Canon deal and what the agreed fee was, it kind of, I know it determines on what the player is, what you want to spend and stuff. But if money's then not spent kind of open yourselves up for criticism if it's not? Say, for example, if we were in a really good position in the league, 
and we didn't strengthen it. Is that is that something you prepared for? Criticism like that? I think I don't understand your question. I think it's it's crazy. I mean, the fact is, on the Cannon deal, I've already said to you, the payment structure took us down over four years because that was his contract. So the the cost this year that that Tom would have cost us was spent on Mullatin and uh, Liam Miller. Um, so we're not in a situation where we're better off because we didn't sign Tom this financial year. Where we are better off is in years two, three, and four. What we haven't done is commit forward the money that would have had to pay to Everton over the next three years. So we will be in a better position going forward, not having signed Tom. But what it hasn't done is to negate this year. And what it does mean is that in years two, three, and four, we'll then have freedom to spend because we haven't got pre-committed contract payments to, to Everton for Tom Cannon. You might have known this topic was going to come up, but in terms of the contracts of players, um, I think including younger lads, there's 11-hour contracts at the end of the summer, obviously. Do you but think there are? Pardon? Do you think there are? Well, by my reckoning, there's Alan Brown, Brad Potts, Ben Whiteman, Andrew Hughes, Chad Evans. No. Andrew Hughes, no. Go on. Oh, wrong there then. <laughs> Lewis Lee, Noah Moeny, Josh Seary, Mikey O'Neill, Pat Bauer and Ben Woodburn. Pat Bauer, no. So I've just reduced it by at least two. two. And but... the other ones, look, it made me smile on Friday night. The transfer window closes at 11. We've just brought eight players in. And the first tweet from somebody was, you better get round to talk about people who are out of contract next summer now. Well, I understand that, but you do one job at a time and the manager has to tell us which players of those that you just mentioned he wants to keep. Um, some of those on the list we won't be keeping. Some of those on the list would like to keep and may or may not stay. We know exactly what their aspirations are and we've talked to those that we think we might want to keep. We've talked to most of them and to their agents, not all, but most. Um, but this isn't a rush off and start throwing money and extending contracts before last Friday, but now the window's closed. Yeah, of course, it's a job that we'll get round to and in some cases have already started. Can you shed any but light we just on brought the, eight players uh... in. Everybody's panicking. He's got nine out of contract. You know, if we don't bring eight players in, every turns around and says, oh, it's the same old squad and we're boring and we don't go and sign players. <laughs> it's a, it evolves. The squad evolves all the time. We believe that the majority of the players that we want to stay would want to stay with us. We believe now, or may not, there may be the odd one that doesn't. And if they don't, we'll go out and, you know, it's, and this is no disrespect to DJ, who I've got a really good relationship with, and what a superb servant to our football club. But people were, some people, not all, but a lot of people were saying to me, oh, if he goes, it's a disaster. Well, it's not. He's gone, and good luck, and we'll shake his hand, and we've replaced him. Can you shed any light on those who, uh, who we have started talks with? No. Fair enough. Thought that might be the answer. <laughs> um, to what up, you do every week is say, where are you up to with those contract talks? What we would do, once we've concluded them, we'll announce them, and that's the right way to do it. Yeah. To round up on the incomings and outgoings, and um, the fact that we didn't have a full squad may have impacted this in terms of loaning out some of our youth players, but... See Mikey O'Neill's joined Southport today. Are there any more in the pipeline? And and were there any EFL? Well, Lewis Lee's gone really to well? Lewis Lee's gone to Bromley, isn't he? Finn's in Scotland. But the other ones, um, the manager wants around him 
in the squad. And in fact, um, most of them have had a taste of first-team football to date. So um, the great thing about the under-21s homegrown um, is you don't have to have them in your 25-man squad. So, you know, we've had, what, six of our first-team squad out injured? And therefore, and you know, you're not going to get through a season without injuries. So the ones who need to be around us, even though it'd be great if we could get them um, experience elsewhere, but those who we need to keep around us, we're keeping around us. And, you know, look at Kean and his development. Is, is there a plan in place for Kean in terms of, is he going to be sort of rotated through the season? Is, is, is yeah, is there a plan in place for him? Well, I don't know how he can ask for that. I don't pick the team. The manager picks the team. And so far, he's played in, what, four out of five games and been on the bench for the other. And, um, you know, the manager's got a squad and he'll pick from the squad. So when you say a plan, we've got the squad and the manager will use them and get them experiences as, as he can. But the ones that we keep around, we'll keep around. And they will either play because the manager thinks they're good enough for that game or they fit the, um, the game plan for that game or they'll be involved in some shape or form. Fair enough. Um, is there an update on the category two and the and the um, the dome that has been talked about in the past? Uh, not really. I've had a couple of meetings with the council. There's some um, some investment going into Ashton Park, I think, under levelling up fund. I've asked the council to work with us on a on a, an indoor facility, but they say if we want one, we'll have to foot the bill. It's our problem. They're not prepared to do it. And we can't have a category two without a dome. So at the moment, to be frank, I insisted that every penny we'd got needed to go into strengthening the squad rather than spending on a dome. We've spent over a quarter of a million pounds on a new town end roof. We've done the gentry bar. We've put new uh, screening. Some people say it's not a big screen, but it's a, it's a state-of-the-art screen. We've put new electronic advertising boards around the stadium uh, this summer. Um, and there's only so much cash to go around. So if you had a choice between a dome and categories two versus three or investment in the squad, I chose the investment in the squad. And actually, when you look at the number of young players in the squad at the moment, category three hasn't actually done us a lot of harm. Would we like to? Absolutely, 100%. Will we do it as soon as we can? Yes. But it requires the commitment and the balancing of funding to go into the right things and at the moment. We haven't committed it to a dome. We're disappointed the city doesn't feel that's something that they want to work with us on. Um, they think we should be doing it ourselves. Understand? That's fine. Um, and therefore, we'll have to do it when we can. Touching on the, the academy, Tom Clark's announced his, his retirement, and he's mentioned about a role within the academy. Could you give any yeah. um, any light on that? Well, he's been with us for a while, actually. I mean, he's he's working with the younger kids, uh, part of his coaching badges, but also. Um, because the younger age group's training schedule worked with his commitments um, playing-wise at Halifax. Um, uh, but, yeah, we've taken him into the academy and we will fast-track him through. And at some point, if there's a, a more-hour commitment job and a bigger job for him to do, you know, he will be poised to do that. And as you know, we've already done that with John Welsh. So um, we're delighted to have him. He's, uh, he's a great guy, tremendous player and captain with us. And um, the, his personality will help us develop the young lads. But he's been doing that for for a few months. Last one from me, Peter. Um, is there any news on 
Paul Huntington's testimonial. Um, so one thing that quite a few on social media have sort of asked. Uh, yeah, I know. And look, I understand people ask regularly. I mean, it's a bit like the Gentry Bar. It was asked every week till we had one, then nobody mentions it. And it's a bit like with Paul Huntington's testimonial. They ask it every week, then we've had it, they'll find somebody else to ask about. So um, is there any news? No. Um, why haven't we had it yet? The first summer didn't work for Paul. This summer, they obviously got to the player final and I spoke to him and went to the game. Um, there are two or three teams he would like us to play for the testimonial. And for various logistical reasons, they've not been prepared to commit to, to playing us in the summer. But as soon as we can get a date to play, whichever one of those teams that he feels comfortable with, we'll have a testimony for him. He's comfortable. We're in regular contact with him. And we committed we'll do one. We will as soon as we can. Grand. Um, that's everything for me. Unless, Brownie, you've got anything to say? No, for me as well. I'll, I'll let you have the final word then, Peter. Just thank you for your time. Um but the last thing I'd like to do, to be honest, is if you take the season ticket sales last year and this year, you take what we saw on Saturday at Stoke, we've got great support, which we really appreciate. Our supporters have been magnificent. And what we'd like to do is hopefully, sooner rather later, deliver exactly what our supporters want. And we all know what it is. We're working our socks off to try and do that. But what I'd like them to do is to keep the faith recognise their support is invaluable to us and appreciated by everybody at Preston North End Football Club. And at the end of what's been a very difficult summer, but a very productive summer, I'd just like to say thank you to them. Well, thank you very much, Peter. Much appreciated. Um, yeah, appreciate you giving us the time on your holiday. No, it's a pleasure. It's never quite a holiday, to be honest, as the last <laughs> 24 hours I've shown with Militan and his work permit, but... Um, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Cheers.